what a privilege it has been for us to have one of God's choice servants with us today. Brother Christopher Allen, God is using him all over the world. He ministers in Africa and Asia and India, all, all over. And God allows him to draw crowds of upwards of 100,000 people. And God just sweeps through those countries, does amazing miracles, saves people, heals them, sets them free, delivers them. The anointing of God is on our brother. He was a Muslim. And God saved him in a radical way. He's going to tell some story today. and you, I just want you to buckle up, get ready for what God wants to do in your life. Expect a miracle this morning. Amen? Amen. Would you welcome with me our brother, Christopher Allen. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Once again, it's my honor to be here at the Power Place. Let's stand up and pray together, won't we? That's a good place to start. Amen. Father, we honor you, we glorify you this morning, we worship you. Lord, what a privilege it is to be called a child of God. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you have done for us when you died for us upon the cross, taking upon your own self all our sins and diseases. And Lord, you're alive today, and you said where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, you're there in the midst of them. So Lord, we acknowledge your presence in this place. We ask you, Lord, that you would let your word go forth and touch our hearts and touch our minds, touch our bodies, heal those that are sick, do miracles in this place. And Lord, for everything you do, we covenant to give you all the glory, honor, and praise because you alone are worthy in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Please be seated. It's my, again, it's my honor and privilege to be here with you this morning. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6, please. Hebrews chapter 6. Now, Hebrews chapter 6 begins with talking about the basic doctrines of the faith. And it says in verse 1, in chapter 6, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. So he's talking about the basic doctrines of Christ, and then it says that we should, we should move on from the basic doctrines into perfection. And the word perfection actually means maturity. Maturity means when you have already laid the foundations of your faith, and that's, then you move on to the next step. Because... No man who's building a house digs up the foundation and again and again. You know, you cannot dig up the foundation, lay a new foundation every time. Once you have laid your foundation, you move on. So he's talking about the foundational, the fundamental doctrines of Christ. And then he says here, he says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Now, there's several things here, but what I want to do, there's six points here, but I want to talk about the first two. So the first foundation is repentance from dead works. Do you see that? The very first foundation of our faith is repentance from dead works. 
Now, you know, we don't really stop and think of what it means because we look at the word repentance, so we think it's talking about repentance. There's actually two kinds of repentance. One is repentance from sin. Repentance from sin. Repentance from sin means that the moment some sin pops up in your life, you stop, you make things right with God. And uh, repentance also means to, to uh, when, you know, when you see in your mind that what you have done is wrong or the course you are taking is wrong, and then you turn around and do a 180 and start moving the other direction. So repentance isn't just saying you're sorry, but repentance also implies making a change in your course, in your direction. That's repentance. And repentance is necessary because repentance is the only way we can make things right when we are wrong. Amen? Now, we have to remember that uh, we are fallible human beings. God has touched us. We are saved. But in ourselves, we are fallible human beings. Now, if I look at my life, you know, I've been a Christian for 40 years now, over 40 years, and I look at my own life, and I can say this, that uh, I am, uh, how, how do you say, my, the quality of my life is far better than it was 10 or 20 years ago. And that is a result of the work that God has been doing in my life. But the work of God in our lives is, is a progressive thing. It doesn't happen overnight. And, uh, the, you know, we will never attain uh, that kind of perfection in the flesh, in this life. I think that is something you have to, you have to accept. That day, I mean, we all, all want to be perfect, but that day will never come in this life. Now, we are perfect in Christ. God, that's interesting, because God treats us like we have never sinned before. That is righteousness. That is imputed to us through Jesus. It is a standing that has been given to us, and that's not because of our good works, but that's because of the grace of God. And we'll talk more about that. But that's one thing. But who we are in our flesh, we are prone to make mistakes. And, uh, and there's two things we can do. Either we can turn away from God. Some people say, well, I'm tired of making these mis mistakes all the time. I, I just, you know, people run away from God. While there's other people like me who, who draw ourselves closer to God. And we realize that, the Bible says that one day we shall see Jesus face to face and we shall be just like him. That's a, that's a wonderful promise we have in the Bible that when we die, we go to heaven and we shall stand before Jesus and we shall be identical to him. We shall look exactly like him. But until that day, we live in that uh, state where there's a progression in our lives. And the Bible says, as we behold the face of the Lord, we go from glory to glory. We become more and more and more like Jesus. But a part of that story is also that we are prone to failure and we will make mistakes. And that's why repentance comes in. You know, every time you fail, you falter, you come to Jesus and make things right. And that's called repentance. Now, that is repentance from sin. But there's another kind of repentance here. And he's talking about repentance from dead works. Now, you have to remember that the book of Hebrews, it was written to the Hebrew Christian. That's why it's called the Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. It was written to Jewish Christians. Now, the first, for the first 10 years of Christianity, the apostles were all Jews, the apostles of Jesus. They all believed 
that uh, only the Jews could be saved. That salvation had been offered to the Jews only, exclusively. That's why they preached only to the Jews. But it was when Peter went to the house of Cornelius and he saw that vision and God said to him that don't call anything clean uh, as unclean. And it, it was talking about not only about foods, there was a dual meaning in that. That means we could eat bacon from henceforth, praise God for that. But it's, it's not only that, but it also the Jews considered anyone else who was a Gentile, anybody who was a Gentile to be unclean. So they could also have salvation. And when Peter went to the house of Cornelius, who was not a Jew, the Holy Ghost fell. They all began to speak in tongues. Then he baptized them. And then uh, the apostles were kind of upset, you know, that Peter had gone to the house of these unclean people. And then Peter had to explain to them how the Lord had shown him and how the Holy Spirit came on them when, as he was preaching to them and, and they, he had baptized them. So, and then it says that the apostles, they praised God that salvation had also been given to the Gentiles. So from that point onwards, you had, you had, uh, you had Jewish Christians and, who were, and there were Christians who were Gentiles, right? So then what happened, I'm giving a little bit of church history, was that there were people who thought that because the first 10 years, these uh, Jewish Christians, they used to go and worship in the synagogue. That's what they, they used to do. And they used to keep the Jewish law and, uh, because they didn't have an understanding. They didn't have a revelation. It was Paul who came with that understanding of what it really means to be a Christian, that we are free from the law because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law of Moses when he died on the cross, you know, and Colossians 2.15 says how, how Jesus, he took the law and he nailed it to the cross. And, 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 and you know, and he made the law uh, redundant, obsolete in a way. So, in a way, what happens is the law of Moses still exists. It still exists, but it's no, long, it's no longer our means of salvation or sanctification. What it is, it shows us the righteous uh, and the holy uh, standards that God has, you know, God's standards of righteousness. So if, if there's things in the world today, you know, you've got homosexuality, you've got all kinds of sins, and you want to find out whether it's right or wrong, then you go to the law, right? You don't try to keep the law for your salvation, but there's a lot of things that the New Testament doesn't really talk about uh, because the New Testament isn't as extensive, it's not as thick a book as the Old Testament, so for those things, we go back to the law because God is still holy. His standards have not changed. He is not the same, right? But for the Jews, the law was also their means of salvation. The law was also their means of, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, just their whole standing before God, everything dependent upon the law. So what would happen was that these Jewish Christians, they tended to revert back to the law. They would say, okay, I'm saved by grace, but for my everyday life, how should I live my life? I go back to the law. Then you had, you had groups of people who were known as Judaizers. What they would do, they would come to the Gentile Christians. And they would say, you also have to submit to the law. You have to get circumcised. And you have to become like, you know, like Jews to be, in order to be Christians. So that's, this book is actually written to them. And there's uh, this one and the book of Galatians addresses the Judaizers. But this is interesting because the first thing he said to the Jewish Christians, 
you have to repent from is dead works. Firstly, he calls, and he's referring to the works of the law. He said, you have to repent from dead works. Dead works actually means that the works of the law are dead. They cannot save you. Paul came to this conclusion in Romans chapter 3. He says, through the works of the law can no man be justified in the sight of God. He said that the law is good, the law is of God, but through the works of the law, nobody can be justified in the sight of God. Now this is interesting. God gave the law to Moses. And if you look at the first five books of Moses, uh, you know, it, it talks about the law of God. Now the law is not only the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were the first ten things that God spoke to Moses when Moses was on the mountain. But the law of God is bigger than the Ten Commandments. And it deals with everything. It deals with big things as well as little things. Like, for example, things like if your bull goes into your neighbor's farm and gores his bull and kills him, how much compensation you have to pay. I mean, things like that. And if you read the law, you can say, well... You know, if I, if I just did things right, I could keep the law. But really, you couldn't. You know why? It is because although the law is perfect and technically it is possible for man to keep the law, but it is actually impossible because of the sinful nature of man. It is, it, you know, it's like, for example, if you can swim, if you're a good swimmer, and, you know, I, once, I can't swim, although we Arabs, we are not good at swimming, you know. We, we, are, we are good in the desert, not in the water. So, so, you know, I mean, I took swimming lessons. My wife was a champion swimmer, and she was embarrassed when I couldn't swim, so she took me to swimming lessons. We were living in Sweden. It was very embarrassing because you had all these little kids splashing around, and I was standing with this ring around my belly, and it was terrible. And there was this lady... And, and there were about 10 of us, and we were all like from Iraq and Iran and different places, you know, all standing there looking stupid. And, 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 and she told us, she said, it's very easy. All you have to do, the first thing you have to learn is to float. Okay? Float. She said, the human body can float. And every time I would try to float, my body would slowly sink under the water. So I didn't know what she was talking about. I said, maybe my bones are heavy or... My fat is heavy, but there's something about me that's heavy. I can't float. But she says, once you learn how to float, all you have to do is to move your arms and legs, and that will propel you forward. It sounds too easy. You float, and then you move your arms and legs, and you are on your way. Now, you can try to do that. You can say, I can swim to Europe that way, jump into the Atlantic. You float, and you start. But you know what? Technically, it is possible. If you can stay afloat and keep yourself moving for the next 5,000 miles, you can do it. But you really cannot do it. Nobody can do it. You know why? Because of the inbuilt weakness of man. So because of the inbuilt weakness of man, which we call the sin nature of man, technically it is possible to keep all the laws of God. But really it's impossible. And God had given the law to Moses with this purpose because of the fall, at the fall of Adam man and God had been separated 
So what God was saying that, okay, this is who I am. The law reflects my holiness and my perfection. This is who I am. If you look at the law, you understand how holy I am. Now, if you want to be with me and fellowship with me, keep the law. If you can keep the law, then you are just like me. We can talk, we can be together. But then he said, if you break even one of the laws, you are as guilty as a person who breaks the whole law. Now we might think that doesn't make sense because that's not how we people grade each other. We say basically this that, you know, I make mistakes but he makes more mistakes so he's a bigger sinner than I am. We all have a, you know, who is better, who is worse. When we talk about bad people, we are not talking about people like us. We are talking about people who are worse than us. But the Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. You know, when I, I was arrested for preaching the gospel, I spent a year in prison. And I remember when I was in prison, there were all kinds of criminals there. And there was a guy who used to come and shave us, give us haircuts and shaves every week. Because we were not allowed to carry razors, you understand, you know. And, and these were these old razors that fold out, you know, like your grandfather used to use. They, you know, they called them cutthroat razors. That's what they called them. So uh, he used to come with this big cutthroat razor. I mean, I still can't figure out why they allowed him to carry that thing. But he carried it and he would sharpen it on a leather strop and then he would, he would lather up our faces and begin to shave us. And he was like a very cold, grim kind of person. And we were always kind of scared being around him. So one day as he was shaving me, he had his razor around here and around my throat. And I tried to make small talk with him. I said, and my question was, so, so why are you in here? And he said, well, I killed two people. <laughs> when he said that, I began to pray in tongues, you know. I was scared he might backslide and do something. The devil might use him, you know. So, so. So then he began to tell me, he said, but, 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 I know what you're thinking. I'm not really such a bad person. I said, really? He said, yeah, I you know, one of those two people I killed was my wife, and she was a terrible woman. Biggest mistake of my life was marrying her. And her mother was even worse. So I killed my wife and my mother-in-law. And they began to tell me how bad they were. You know, he began to tell me how terrible they were. And then he says, but I'm, I'm actually a good person at heart. I just came, you know, into bad circumstances and I ended up doing what I did. So don't judge me by what I did because my heart is right. I'm actually a great guy. Now, there's a, there's a really bad guy in the next cell next to me. He killed seven people. And, 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 and I'm thinking, even in prison, there's a, there's a pecking order of who's good and who's bad, you know? The guy who killed two people thinks he's a good person, you know, because... You know, he has killed fewer people than most of the other people there. And so that's how we grade people. We, we, you know, we people, I've had people say to me, if God is so just, if God is so good, if God loves humanity, why doesn't he kill all the bad people? I said, well, if he did that, he'd have to start with you and me. Because the Bible does say, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what happens, so the reason you know, the law was given was actually to make us aware of our sinfulness so that it would cause us to seek the mercy of God, to seek the grace of God. That's why the Bible says that the law is a schoolmaster whose job is to lead us to Christ. So when Jesus came with grace, 
people would realize, you know, I've done my best trying to please God by my own good works, and it hasn't worked. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to come to Jesus because he offers me salvation. He offers me righteousness. He offers me forgiveness. He said, the same standing that I could have with God by being a, pers a perfect person, that standing. Now, that's what righteousness means. To be righteous means to have right standing with God. Righteous doesn't mean that a person has reached a state of sinless perfection because there's nobody who has reached that state. There's nobody on this earth who has that. There was only one man who had that and they crucified him. Jesus was the only perfect man who ever lived. But righteousness means to have that right standing with God. So that right standing that man could have if he could live a perfect sinless life, that righteousness is now given to us through Jesus. Amen. So that's imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is different than earned righteousness. They have the same status. They do the same thing. But in one case, it is earned, and in the other case, it is granted. It's given for free. Amen? So the whole purpose of the law is to bring people to a point where they understand that there's no ways I can please God by myself. So I turn to Jesus, who makes me accepted by God. Amen? So what he's saying, he's saying to the Hebrew Christians, that if you want to live the Christian life, the first thing you have to do is to repent and turn away and say that you're sorry for your trying to establish your own right standing before God by your own good works. That is a sin. We do it all the time. We don't think, we think sin is smoking a cigarette or have, you know, drinking a whiskey. But God says, trying to establish your own righteousness before God by your own good works, that is a sin. And you have to repent from it. You have to repent of your sin, of your self-righteousness. Repent of your dead works because those works of the law are dead works. They're dead works because they never brought anyone life. So he says you have to, so the first thing we have to repent of is repent from dead works. And then the second principle is, and have faith towards God. That's what it says. In other words, as long as we are living in our own works, trying to please God by our own works, we can never have faith. Because faith is connected to grace. By grace are you saved through faith. Faith has its wellsprings in grace. Now, if we are trying to do our own works to please God, to impress God, then, for example, if I need a miracle from God, I'm desperately in need of a miracle, and I try to work my way towards it, right? When that miracle finally comes, it is not a gift of grace. It is a reward that I have earned. Because it is a result of my good works. So we cannot have faith as long as we are in works. Because faith is connected to grace. And grace is the opposite of works. Grace is God's unmerited favor that is given to us. 
And there's only one condition for a man to receive grace. Grace is unmerited, but it's not unconditional. It is unmerited. It means we can never deserve it. We can never earn it. It is something that God gives to every human being. His grace. But the only condition for grace is that God gives grace to the humble, but he despises the proud. The only, only condition for receiving God's grace is humility before God. Pride is the one thing that God despises. When a man sticks his head up in pride before God and says, I can do it on my own. That's, that's pride. You might, you might need Christianity. It's a crutch for you. I don't need Christianity. I can do it on my own. That's pride. For such people, they shut themselves out from the grace of God. But when a person says, you know what? I can't make it on my own. I need the grace of God. Someone like me, who was totally messed up when I came to Jesus, I, need, I was the first one to admit, yes, I need the grace of God. And it was the circumstances of life that brought me to that point. I was not the kind of person who was, you know, a deeply pious and religious person seeking God, but it was my circumstances. Leaving my home when I was 13, joining the military at that age, a combat veteran at 17, seeing death, seeing destruction around me, being messed up, being suicidal. Now, you might think, you know, he's a combat veteran at 17, he's tough. No, we are not tough. We may be tough on the outside. On the inside, we were all broken, messed up, have nothing to live for. Woke up in the morning and think, what is there to live for anymore? So I needed Jesus because he offered me something that nobody could give me, that I couldn't earn or make for myself, right? Because it is grace, I receive it by faith. Because it is given to me, I, I can't buy it. Nothing, you know. Now, when I was a Muslim, you had to buy everything from God. You had to perform. You had to do a whole bunch of stuff all the time. And then, at the end of the day, you didn't really know what would happen to you. Because we were taught that when you die, you have no assurance whether you're going to heaven or to hell. Because after you die, you will stand before the judgment throne of God. And there's, they told us there's a huge play, you know, a pair of scales. And all your good deeds would be put on one side. And all your evil deeds, your misdeeds would be put on the other side. And the side that is... That'll weigh heavier. That's where you'll go to. And I knew where I was going to. I knew where I was going to because my sins were many. And not only that, but this is what they taught. This is what Islam teaches. That there are seven different degrees of hell. So if your sins were really, really heavy, you go to the seventh class. Then you work way up to sixth class and fifth and fourth and... Then you find out, you come to first class in hell. That's like coach, you know, in Delta Airlines, you know. You <laughs> and then when you have paid the price for your sins, then you come into heaven, the lowest class of heaven, and you work your way up. And that can take ages to do that. And so I thought, this is what I'm facing. And then somebody told me, Jesus... He took your sins that are sending you to hell upon his own self. And the right standing with God that you could have if you lived a perfect human, a perfect life is being given to you. That is grace. 
Hallelujah. And it is received only by faith. You can't pay for it. So that's why he's saying repentance from dead works and then of faith towards God. Faith towards God. And faith, what is faith towards God? Well, faith is associated with the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 verse 38, the just shall live by faith. Now when I have been justified by faith, I come to Jesus. I am expected by God to live by faith. Because see, once a person gets saved, by grace, I come to Jesus by grace, so what do I do now? Do I just hang around in a limbo for the next 50 years, come to church every Sunday, sing songs, listen to sermons, then during the week, I do the things I like to do, tell everybody I'm a Christian, and then one day I die, and God says, well, you're born again, you did make a decision 50 years ago, so welcome in. No, it doesn't say that. It didn't say that the just, the one who is justified shall live in a limbo, doing nothing. It says that just shall live by faith. Because there's only two ways to go. You either go forward or you go backwards. Living by faith is a wonderful life. The first thing about living by faith is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you begin to live by faith, the first thing and the most important thing in your life becomes this book. This book. Because this is how God speaks to you. When you read this book, you learn this book, this is God's word. Now this is the written word. This book, we call it the Logos, the written word. But Jesus is the living word. That is the relationship with Jesus and this book. They are the one and the same. Because the, book, the gospel of John, the first verse says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then goes on to say, and the word became flesh, and we saw his glory. The glory of the only begotten son of God. So really, Jesus, the man Jesus Christ who came and lived in us and who we have fallen in love with, he's the same as this book. And that's why Jesus said, if you love me, you will love my book. If you love me, you'll love my commandments. Amen. So there is something within the heart of a person who's, who, who, you know, who has received grace, who has received salvation, that draws him to be closer to Jesus. There's always something within us that pulls us and draws us. I want to be closer to Jesus. I want to get to know him. Amen. I want to get to know him. I want to be closer to him. And that is this book. Jesus is in this book. So that's how our faith grows. When we read this book, you know, when I first got saved, I began to read the book. And then my leaders, they told me, look, there's a Muslim country. You can be arrested at any time. You can be persecuted. They can throw you into prison. And I thought, will they really do that? What harm have I done believing in Jesus? I didn't realize that, that they can actually kill you for believing in Jesus. So I said, what should I do? They said, well, when they put you in prison, they might take your Bible away. So what do I do? They said, memorize one verse every day. 
And then after a month, I had to memorize two verses a day. I got a break on Saturday and Sunday, but five days a week. So when they finally arrested me, I had, I had a couple of hundred verses I knew in my heart. And I finally did manage to smuggle a pocket Bible inside my trousers, you know. I did manage to smuggle a pocket Bible in, and, and that helped me. But other than that, the only Bible I had was the stuff I had memorized, and God would speak to me through those. And I would be in prison, and I would be talking to Jesus, and, you know, I mean... I saw, I felt the presence of God so many times, you know, and, and it always had to do with the word of God. Amen. So what happens is that this life of faith is actually three things. Firstly, it is the blood of Jesus. It is our personal relationship to Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is the power of the word of God working in our lives. And thirdly, it is our being yielded to the Holy Spirit. Yielding and surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And when we surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, surrender ourselves to the Word of God, God does wonderful things in our lives. I mean, He, he speaks to us, He acts in us, and, and, and you know what happens? Our lives are no longer the same. I mean, there is a huge, huge change in my life. And because of that, I can say about myself, at least I'm not the same person that I was 40 years ago. It is because of the work of God. Amen? Amen. He says, so that not of works lest any man should boast. Everything that God does, God does in our lives is because of his goodness, because of his kindness, because of his mercy. So he says, repentance of, uh, from, from dead works and of faith towards God. Now, I want to uh, read to you. It says in Romans chapter 5. Let me jump to Romans chapter 5. Um, in Romans chapter 5, Paul is explaining to the Romans about this whole concept of salvation because you see the thing is that I'm talking about imputed righteousness or imparted righteousness as opposed to earned righteousness earned righteousness would was this, if my deeds if my works were perfect and then God would look at me and say you know you're a perfect human being I accept you and imparted righteousness, it is that because of what Jesus has done, the righteousness of Jesus, the right standing of Jesus is given to you. So I treat you like I treat Jesus. That's, what, that's imputed righteousness. So I'm righteous not because of my works, but because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, because he took my place. So I call myself righteous, and people say, are you righteous? I remember when I, I met some of my relatives, they say. What do you mean you're righteous? I said, well, I am. Well, how can you say that? Well, it's because of what Jesus has done. So how can, how can you, I mean, you know, some years ago, um, I went back to Pakistan where I was born. And uh, I used to be in the military. And everyone, you know, for them, I was a traitor. And because I had turned away from their religion and I was, I was a Christian. So what happened about 10, 11 years ago, there was a massive earthquake there in which I think 350, 450,000 people had died. So the Lord told me to collect money. So I collected money, and the Lord told me to send it half of it through the churches. And I think I had about $25,000 I collected and sent. And the Lord said, send half of the money through the Military Officers Alumni Association, of which I was a part. So I sent it to them. 
I send them the money. So I was just obeying God. I was trying to help people. So what happened, then finally when all the money had come in, they published a list of, of donors. And my name was on the top of the list. And they couldn't understand how this guy who has turned away from Islam, becoming a, has become a Christian, has given more money than our Muslim brothers. They couldn't understand that. So they asked me to come and they really welcomed me. So I was there and I was with a guy who used to, who, who, I mean, who, you know, of course I left and this guy, he was my best friend when we were cadets and he was, he had been the, one of the commandants of the Air Force Academy and he was retired. So we spent a lot of time together. So he, he began to tell me, he said, what is it that you actually do? I said, well, I travel around the world, tell people about Jesus. And what else? I said, that's all I do. I tell people about Jesus. So I had a DVD from one of my crusades. So I put that DVD in and I said, this will give you an idea of what I do. So there was a little bit of preaching and there were some healing testimonies. And then he, he said, stop this. I want you to pause this. He said, play this again. So I played that scene again. He said, stop this. He said, are you telling me that this little boy who was born lame, he got up and began to walk because you prayed to Allah for him. I said, well, if you put it that way, I guess so. He said, look, we grew up together. We've been friends since we were a kid. He says, I was a crook, you were a crook. You were just like me. You were no better than any of us. He said, we pray to God, he never hears us, and here you are, you disappear, after, and after all these years, you reappear, and you are telling me that you pray for this little boy who was born lame, and he gets up and walks. I said, yes. He said, well, how can this be? Have you attained some kind of degree of holiness? I said, no, this is because of Jesus. This is because of Jesus. He says, so you mean that I can also pray and God will hear me also? I said, yes. I said, it's not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of his love and grace for sinners that he loves us and he gave his life for us and he died for us. And I said, when we come to him, when we come to him, he takes our sins away and he treats us as if we have never done anything wrong. And he says that you can enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus at any time. I told him, he began to cry. He says, can you do me a favor? I said, well, he said, you know, I built a house as an investment. He said, I just can't sell it. Nobody will buy it. I'm running at a loss. He said, I'm really desperate. Can you pray for it? Can you pray this, that it is sold? I said, yeah. I said, just let's go there. So we <laughs> drove half an hour to his house. We went inside. He unlocked that house. Beautiful, big house. I said, let's stand and pray. So he closed his eyes. I said, you close your eyes. He closed his eyes. I began to pray. And when I opened my eyes, he had tears flowing down his cheeks. He said, do you really believe it's going to be sold? I said, yes, it's going to be sold. In two weeks, it was sold. He calls me. He says, God hears you. I said, of course he does. Then he says, I've got a prayer list. I'm going to email you. <laughs> so he emails me a prayer list. Calls me a month later. He said, man, this is great. He says, you are like the goose that lays the golden eggs. He says, my God will not hear you, but your God hears you. 
You can, whatever, I, I just have to ask you and you pray and hears. I said, I said, hush me. That's with them. I said, hush me. We don't have to work with this arrangement anymore. <laughs> I said, he said, what do you mean? I said, you can do this yourself. Really? I said, yeah. I said, all you have to do is receive Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That is imputed righteousness. Amen. So some people might say, well, how can this be? How can a guy like me who has lived in sin all his, all his life suddenly be accepted by God to the degree that God hears my prayers? Well, this is what Paul is explaining. Can I have five more minutes? Okay, I'll let you up. What he's saying is this. Look at this. It says, uh, I'm just going to read one verse, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. He's talking about Adam and he's talking about Jesus. It says, through Adam, sin came to all men. You know, when I was born, I didn't choose to be a sinner. I didn't choose. Yet, as I grew up, sin revealed itself because it was a part of my nature. I mean, I have children, I have a granddaughter, and, and you know, when, when, especially when you raise children, they are born pure and innocent. There's nothing wrong with them. But after some time, they learn that which is wrong. You don't have to teach them this is wrong. In fact, you have to teach them that which is right. Because sin comes natural to man. It's a part of the DNA of man. You know why it came through Adam? That's, that's imputed sin. When a person becomes a sinner, not because he chooses to be a sinner, but it it, it is just imparted to him. So it says that because sin, that offense, reigned, ruled in mankind for the past 6,000 years, just because of one man, Adam, if that can happen, so the opposite can also happen, that righteousness can be imparted to man through Jesus Christ. Amen? So if it is fair... Or right that all mankind can become sinners because of the sin of one man, because of the, the disobedience of one man called Adam. It is equally right, it is equally, equally logical and fair that all mankind can be made righteous because of the righteousness and the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ. And not only then, not only that, it says that we who have received the abundance of grace, not just grace, the Bible says of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace, that we have received an immeasurable amount of grace and mercy. It says because of that abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, righteousness that has been given to us, as a gift, we shall reign in life. Reign in life actually means to rule like a king. And that's the opposite of being a victim of your circumstances. 
I was in a courtroom once. There was a guy with a knife who attacked my wife and me and some other people. And, 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 and when he was dragged to court, you know, his, his entire defense, his lawyer basically said that, yes, my client has done all this, but it's his parents' fault. His parents, his teachers, it was, it was not his fault. Whatever he was, basically said, he's a victim of his circumstances. He is the way he is because of his circumstances in life. So mankind is basically a victim of circumstances. You are a victim. You are a product of your environment and you cannot get away from that. If you grew up in a single parent home, surrounded by drug addicts, People selling drugs and, you know, in a criminal environment. You really stand no chance because that's the way you'll end up. That's what people believe. But because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we are no longer victims. But we are masters of our lives and our circumstances because we rule and we reign in this life. That means that when we come to Jesus, we begin with a clean slate all over again. That's what the Bible says. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. All things are passed away and all things have become new. So that none of us can say that, you know, I am the way I am because of the way I was brought up and nothing can change that. Yes, the blood of Jesus can change that. We reign in life because of the gift of God. That has been given to us. That is why Jesus Christ is a life changer. Hallelujah. No longer victims. No longer can I say I had the wrong cards dealt to me. You know, I remember I used to always used to blame my mother for leaving our family. Always blame my stepmother for beating me up from the age of eight and Always blame my father for not standing up for me. And I had to leave my home when I was eight. Went to war when I was 17. I blamed everybody. And you could, if you examine my circumstances, you would sympathize with me. And you would say, you know, surely yeah, it's true. He would have been a better human being if it hadn't been for circumstances. Because when you're faced with those circumstances and you're young, young you learn to fight to survive and you get scarred. But then... Nothing can change that except Jesus Christ. When you come to Jesus, he takes you from being a victim and you become a victor instead of a victim. Hallelujah. It says we have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And that gives us the right to reign and to rule through Jesus Christ in this life. Hallelujah. Amen. That is the gift and the grace of God that is given to us. Let's bow our heads together. Well, heads about. I know this is church time Sunday morning, but I would like to do this one thing. If there's anybody here, you say, Pastor Christopher, I don't really know Jesus. Or you say, Pastor, I, I need to get right with God. If that is the condition of your soul, then more than anything else, I really want to pray with you because Jesus loves you. Your life is very precious to him. Even when people despise themselves, God never despises you. You are more precious to him than you realize. 
And if that is the condition of your soul, and he said, Pastor Christopher, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to get right with God. I don't want you to lay in your bed tonight with your heart full of regret because you have this opportunity right now. And we will pray with you. If that's the condition of your soul, you want, you want us to pray with you. Can you lift up your hand right now, right where you are, so we, can, so we know who you are. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. This is a safe place. God bless you. God bless you, miss. God bless you, young man. Anybody else? This is a totally safe environment. That's for you. God bless you, man. This is the best place. No one will laugh at you. No one will look down at you. No one will despise you. But we will stand with you and we will pray with you. God bless you right there, young man. Anybody else? This is your time. Anybody else? Say, Pastor Christopher, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to get right with God. Anybody else? I just want to make sure I don't miss anybody. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Greg, would you stand with me? Now, those of you who put your hands up, could you please stand to your feet? Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. If you put your hand up, please stand to your feet so I can pray with you. There are a couple more people. Just stand up. And uh, please come and join me in the front. Please come stand with me. Pastor Greg. God bless you, young man. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? If you say that, I need to. I shouldn't be sitting on my seat, but I should be standing with these two young men. Anybody else? I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. Okay, a few more seconds before we pray with them. Pastor Greg, would you pray with them? Just pray with them, Pastor Greg. Let's all stand up.